Chapter Two of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. A Last Walk. Mark turned in from Chancery Lane under the old gateway and went to one of the staircase doorways with the old curly eighteenth-century numerals cut on the centre stone of the arch and painted black. The days of these picturesque old dark red buildings with their small-paned dusty windows their turrets and angles and other little architectural surprises and inconveniences are already numbered soon the sharp outlines of their old gables and chimneys will cut the sky no longer but some unpractical persons will be found who although or it may be because they did not occupy them will see them fall with a pang and remember them with a kindly regret a gas-jet was glimmering here and there behind the slits of dusty glass in the turret staircase as mark came in although it was scarcely dusk in the outer world for old square is generally a little in advance in this respect he passed the door laden with names and shining black plates announcing removals till he came to an entrance on the second floor where one of the names on a dingy ledge above the door was Mr. Vincent Holroyd. If Mark had been hitherto a failure, Vincent Holroyd could not be pronounced a success. He had been, certainly, more distinguished at college, but after taking his degree, reading for the bar, and being called, three years had passed in forced inactivity, not, perhaps, an altogether unprecedented circumstance in a young barrister's career, but with the unpleasant probability, in his case, of a continued brieflessness a dry and reserved manner due to a secret shyness had kept away many whose friendship might have been useful to him and though he was aware of this he could not overcome the feeling he was a lonely man and had become enamoured of his loneliness of the interest popularly believed to be indispensable to a barrister he could command none and with more than the average amount of ability the opportunity for displaying it was denied him, so that when he was suddenly called upon to leave England for an indefinite time, he was able to abandon prospects that were not brilliant without any particular reluctance. Mark found him tying up his few books and effects in the one chamber which he had subrented, a little panelled room looking out on Chancery Lane, and painted the pea-green colour which, with a sickly buff, seemed set apart for professional decoration his face which was dark and somewhat plain with large strong features had a pleasant look on it as he turned to meet mark i'm glad you could come he said i thought we'd walk back together for the last time i shall be ready in one minute i'm only getting my law books together you're not going to take them out to ceylon with you then not now brandon my landlord you know will let me keep them here till i send for them i've just seen him shall we go now they passed out through the dingy gaslit clerk's room and holroyd stopped for a minute to speak to the clerk a mild pale man who was neatly copying out an opinion at the foot of a case good-bye tucker he said i don't suppose i shall see you again for some time good-bye mr holroyd sir very sorry to lose you i hope you'll have a pleasant voyage and get on over there sir better than you've done here sir 
the clerk spoke with a queer mixture of patronage and deference the deference was his ordinary manner with his employer-in-chief a successful chancery junior and the patronage was caused by a pitying contempt he felt for a young man who had not got on that old roydel never do anything at the bar he used to say when comparing notes with his friend the clerk to the opposite set of chambers he's got no push and he's got no manner and there ain't nobody at his back what he ever come to the bar for at all i don't know there were some directions to be given as to letters and papers which the mild clerk received with as much gravity as though he were not inwardly thinking i'd eat all the papers as ever come in for you and want dinner after em and then holroyd left his chambers for the last time and he and mark went down the rickety winding stair and out under the colonnade of the vice-chancellor's courts at the closed doors of which a few clerks and reporters were copying down the cause list for the next day they struck across lincoln's inn fields and long acre towards piccadilly and hyde park it was by no means a typical november afternoon the sky was a delicate blue and the air mild with just enough of autumn keenness in it to remind one not unpleasantly of the real time of year well said holroyd rather sadly you and i won't walk together like this again for a long time i suppose not said mark with a regret that sounded a little formal for their approaching separation did not as a matter of fact make him particularly unhappy holroyd had always cared for him much more than he had cared for holroyd for whom mark's friendship had been a matter of circumstance rather than deliberate preference they had been quartered in the same lodgings at cambridge and had afterwards kept on the same staircase in college which had led to a more or less daily companionship a sort of intimacy that is not always strong enough to bear transplantation to town holroyd had taken care that it should survive their college days for he had an odd liking for mark in spite of a tolerably clear insight into his character mark had a way of inspiring friendships without much effort on his part and this undemonstrative self-contained man felt an affection for him which was stronger than he ever allowed himself to show mark for his part had begun to feel an increasing constraint in the company of a friend who had an unpleasantly keen eye for his weak points and with whom he was always conscious of a certain inferiority which as he could discover no reason for it galled his vanity the more his careless tone wounded holroyd who had hoped for some warmer response and they walked on in silence until they turned into hyde park and crossed to rotten row when mark said by the way vincent wasn't there something you wanted to speak to me about i wanted to ask a favour of you it won't give you much trouble said holroyd oh in that case if it's anything i can do you know but what is it well said holroyd the fact is i never told a soul till now but i've written a book never mind old boy said mark with a light laugh for the confession or perhaps a certain embarrassment with which it was made seemed to put holroyd more on a level with himself so have lots of fellows and no one thinks any the worse of them unless they print it is it a law book not exactly said holroyd it's a romance a romance 
cried Mark. You? Yes, said Holroyd. I... I've always been something of a dreamer, and I amused myself by putting one of my dreams down on paper. I wasn't disturbed. You've been called, though, haven't you? I never got up, said Holroyd, with a rather melancholy grimace. I began well enough. I used to come up to chambers by ten and leave at half-past six, after noting up reports and textbooks all day, but no solicitor seemed struck by my industry. Then I sat in court and took down judgments most elaborately, but no leader ever asked me to take notes for him, and I never got a chance of suggesting anything to the court as amicus curiae, for both the vice-chancellors seemed able to get along pretty well without me. Then I got tired of that, and somehow this book got into my head, and I couldn't rest till I got it out again. It's finished now, and I'm lonely again. "'And you want me to run my eye over it and lick it into shape a little?' asked Mark. "'Not quite that,' said Holroyd. "'It must stand as it is. What I'm going to ask you is this. I don't know any fellow I would care to ask but yourself. I want it published.' I shall be out of England, probably with plenty of other matters to occupy me for some time. I want you to look after the manuscript for me while I'm away. Do you mind taking the trouble? Not a bit, old fellow, said Mark. No trouble in the world. Only tying up the parcel each time, sending it off again. Well, I didn't mean that, but it's no trouble, really. I dare say you won't be called upon to see it through the press, said Holroyd, but if such a thing as an acceptance should happen, I should like you to make all the arrangements. You've had some experience in these things, and I haven't, and I shall be away, too. I'll do the best I can, said Mark. What sort of a book is it? It's a romance, as I said, said Holroyd. I don't know that I can describe it more exactly. It... Oh, it doesn't matter, interrupted Mark. I can read it some time. What have you called it? Glamour, said Holroyd, still with a sensitive shrinking at having to reveal what had long been a cherished secret. It isn't a society novel, I suppose. No, said Holroyd. I'm not much of a society man. I go out very little. But you ought to, you know. You'll find people very glad to see you if you only cultivate them. There was something, however, in Mark's manner of saying this that suggested a consciousness that this might be purely personal experience. "'Shall I?' said Holroyd. "'I don't know. People are kind enough, but they can only be really glad to see anyone who is able to amuse them or interest them, and that's natural enough. I can't flatter myself that I'm particularly interesting or amusing. Anyway, it's too late to think about that now.' "'You won't be able to do the hermit much over in Ceylon, will you?' "'I don't know. My father's plantation is in rather a remote part of the island. I don't think he has ever been very intimate with the other planters near him, and as I left the place when I was a child, I have fewer friends there than here even. But there will be plenty to do if I am to learn the business as he seems to wish.' "'Did he ever think of having you over before?' He wanted me to come over and practice at the Colombo Bar, but that was soon after I was called, and I preferred to try my fortune in England first. I was the second son, you see, and while my brother John was alive, I was left pretty well to my own devices. 
I went, as you know, to Colombo, in my second long, but only for a few weeks, of course, and my father and I didn't get on together somehow. But he's ill now, and poor John died of dysentery, and he's alone, so even if I had had any practice to leave, I could hardly refuse to go out to him. As it is, as far as that is concerned, I have nothing to keep me. They were walking down Rotten Row, as Holroyd said this, with the dull leaden surface of the serpentine on their right, and away to the left, across the tan and the grey sward, the cavalry barracks with their long, narrow rows of gleaming windows. Up the long, convex surface of the row, a faint white mist was crawling, and a solitary, spectral-looking horseman was cantering noiselessly out of it towards them. The evening had almost begun. The sky had changed to a delicate green tint, merged towards the west in a dusky crocus, against which the memorial spire stood out sharp and black. From South Kensington came the sound of a church bell calling for some evening service. "'Doesn't that bell remind you somehow of Cambridge days?' said Mark. "'I could almost fancy we were walking up again from the boats, and that was the chapel bell ringing.' "'I wish we were,' said Holroyd, with a sigh. "'They were good old times, and they will never come back.' "'You're very low, old fellow,' said Mark, "'for a man going back to his native country.' "'Ah, but I don't feel as if it was my native country, you see. "'I've lived here so long, and no one knows me out there except my poor old father, "'and we're almost strangers. "'I'm leaving the few people I care for behind me.' "'Oh, it will be all right,' said Mark, with the comfortable view one takes of another's future. "'You'll get on well enough. We shall have you a rich coffee-planter or a deputy judge-advocate in no time. Any fellow has a chance out there, and you'll soon make friends in a place like that.' "'I like my friends ready-made, I think,' said Holroyd. "'But one must make the best of it, I suppose.' They had come to the end of the row. The gates of Kensington Gardens were locked, and behind the bars a policeman was watching them suspiciously, as if he suspected they might attempt a forcible entry. "'Well,' said Mark, stopping, "'I suppose you turn off here.' Holroyd would have been willing to go on with him as far as Kensington had Mark proposed it, but he gave no sign of desiring this, so his friend's pride kept him silent too. "'One word more about the—the the book he said. I may put your name and address on the title page, then. It goes off to Chilton and Flaggate tonight. Oh, yes, of course, said Mark. Put whatever you like. I've not given them my real name, and if anything comes of it, I should like that kept a secret. Just as you please. But why? If I keep on at the bar, a novel, whether it's a success or not, is not the best bait for briefs, said Holroyd. "'And besides, if I am to get a slating, I'd rather have it under an alias, don't you see? "'So the only name on the title page is Vincent Beecham.' "'Very well,' said Mark. "'None shall know till you choose to tell them, "'and if anything has to be done about the book, I'll see to it with pleasure, "'and write to you when it's settled. "'So you can make your mind easy about that.' "'Thanks,' said Holroyd. "'And now?' Goodbye, Mark. There was real feeling in his voice, and Mark himself caught something of it as he took the hand Vincent held out. 
"'Good-bye, old boy,' he said. "'Take care of yourself. Pleasant voyage and good luck. You're no letter-writer, I know, but you'll drop me a line now and then, I hope. What's the name of the ship you go out in?' "'The Mangalore. She leaves the docks to-morrow. Good-bye for the present, Mark. We shall see one another again, I hope. Don't forget all about me before that.' "'No, no,' said Mark. "'We've been friends too long for that.' one more good-bye a momentary english awkwardness in getting away from one another and they parted holroyd walking towards bayswater across the bridge and mark making for queensgate and kensington mark looked after his friend's tall strong figure for a moment before it disappeared in the dark well i've seen the last of him he thought poor old holroyd to think of his having written a book He's one of those unlucky beggars who never make a hit at anything. I expect I shall have some trouble about it by and by. Holroyd walked on with a heavier heart. He won't miss me, he told himself. Will Mabel say good-bye like that? End of chapter 2